This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a weekly show where we learn what it means to rise above the human condition. We hope the conversation today is just what you need for the week ahead. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. Great to have you with us. What is it? March 28th, 2022. Great to have you with us back on the show. Another sunny Monday morning here in Southern California. Actually, I'm not going to lie. I'm recording this on the weekend and it's probably not going to be sunny tomorrow morning. Uh, I think we're actually supposed to get rain all day Monday. So there you have it. Proof that it isn't always sunny in Southern California. But let's jump in. So this is our second week back on track doing one-off episodes on felt need topics. Last week, we talked about three things we can do better in 2022. This week, we're going to kind of piggyback off of that and talk about purpose and meaning. So how can we ensure that the things we're putting time and energy into have the right purpose or the right meaning? But before that, let's dive into our minute of transparency. And this week, I'm just going to call it the rabbit hole. So I'm sure you've all heard that phrase before, right? Going down the rabbit hole. According to knowyourphrase.com, the phrase was first used by Lewis Carroll in his 19th century novel called Alice in Wonderland. In the novel, it was an actual literal event. A young girl falls down a hole that belongs to the white rabbit. But for us here in the real world, it can be defined like this. When someone goes down the rabbit hole, it means that they spent a lot of time on an activity, perhaps more than they originally intended. Now, I would suggest we add a few words to that definition, because I think it sounds a lot better when you say, we spent a lot of time, energy, and or money on something, perhaps more than we originally intended. Because for me, this is typically how rabbit holes work. I tend to spend more time and energy and possibly even money on the things that I've gone down the rabbit hole chasing. So that said, uh, here are just a few of the rabbit holes that I've gone down in my lifetime, starting with chess. So I have absolutely no idea how this started, why I became fascinated with chess. But at some point, I just dove in head first. I purchased the game in various formats. I had a soft chess board that I would roll up and I could easily take with me. I had traditional chess boards and chess pieces. And because I had just bought my first desktop computer, I bought this program called Chess Master. Uh, The leading chess software at the time, I think, which allowed you to play against the computer, but also take tutorials and study classic matches one move at a time. Now, before I knew it, I was in over my head. The magnitude of the game took me over, right? And before you knew it, I felt like I was sinking in this sea of uh, knowledge that I would just never learn to swim in. And I fell for the idea that I could master chess. Then I realized how dumb that idea really was. Because chess, like golf and any other skill, you can spend an entire lifetime trying to perfect it, and never actually get there. Call it my dark moment of the soul or whatever it was, but at some point I realized that in order to achieve my dreams of chess, 
I would need to give my entire life to it in ways that I couldn't begin to afford. So I stopped. I put chess on the shelf, and every once in a while I think back and remember going down that rabbit hole. Now, the rest of the things I'm going to talk about fall into an into a category I'm just going to call extreme sports. So this is another rabbit hole that I've been down various times doing various things. Uh, there have been quite a few, but let me just throw a few out there. Snowboarding, rock climbing, and scuba diving. Starting with snowboarding. So I think it started in college. My friends and I drove up to a small, sad ski resort in central Michigan. We strapped on snowboards, and we learned in a couple days how it was done. A week later, we drove to Vail, Colorado, and were navigating double black diamonds before the week was over. This led to a snowboarding trip at least once or twice a year for the next five or six years. When I look back and start adding up all of the money and time that I spent on equipment, clothing, travel, lodging, tickets, I cringe just a little bit. I probably could have purchased a really nice car with all of that money. Or better yet, I could have put that money toward my college degree and graduated without a mountain of school loan debt. Next, rock climbing. So similar to snowboarding, my friends and I thought it would be fun to learn how to rock climbing. So we purchased all the equipment and we started planning little trips to the mountains. We spent many of those trips at a place called Devil's Lake in Wisconsin. And then came our big trip. We headed to the Grand Tetons in Wyoming. We bought expedition-style backpacks, hiking boots, lightweight camping tools, and all the necessary climbing gear, including enough food to last for the week. Then we set off and headed into the backcountry. Now, after hiking for miles and miles, we made camp. We turned in for the night. Next morning, we woke up in a snowstorm. Eight inches of snow already on the ground. Needless to say, if the goal is to rock climb, that wasn't going to work. So we packed everything up and we headed back down the mountain. Now, it was a sad day to be sure. I mean, we had gone there to go back into the, the backcountry and rock climb and do all this fun stuff. And we had to completely cancel all of that. However, we found all sorts of things to do in the valley. We hiked, we swam in the lake, we fished, and we still got to climb almost every single day. We found a massive practice rock in the valley near our campground, and we were able to continue to do the thing we went there to do. Now, once again, I look back on it and I can see the large investment in time, energy, and money that went into rock climbing. Last but not least, scuba diving. So at one point in my life, I was hanging out with a bunch of guys and um, we were at that young adult stage with small kids and Every now and then we would plan a guy's trip. Now, if I'm being completely honest, we did it mainly because the girls did a trip every single year and we didn't want to be left out. So the first year we went whitewater rafting in West Virginia. Now, if you haven't experienced something like that, I would highly recommend it as a family getaway. I put a link in the show notes to one of the trips that we took and it was a lot of fun, highly recommended. The next year, we were all sitting around trying to come up with our next project or our next trip, and somebody said, I've always been interested in scuba diving, and that was it. We found our next rabbit hole. Thousands of dollars later, we were PADI certified, had full scuba gear, 
and were going on weekend diving trips in the area, mainly Gilboa Quarry in Ohio, where we would practice all sorts of things, um, diving at depth, diving through um, sunken aircraft, all sorts of fun things, uh, all the way down to about 130 feet. Then we did the big trip, the trip to Key Largo in the Florida Keys, a week's worth of diving in sunshine. After that trip, we got to dive in a few other places in Florida. We went to Cancun, Cozumel, but I haven't been diving much since then. Now, when I look back on all of these things, I can definitely see the rabbit hole effect, right? All the time, the energy, the money that we sunk into these pursuits, perhaps more than I assumed I was going to at the time. And looking back, I've come to view them in different ways. When it comes to chess, I still cringe because I just don't know why I did it. What was the fascination? What was I hoping to get out of it? If I could go back and replace that rabbit hole with something else, I probably would. But the other things, not so much. I mean, they were rabbit holes, but I'm glad I went down them. Right? They were things that enriched my life, that kept me connected to my friends. And they also kept me in good shape on some level. Yes, it was a lot of money sunk into those pursuits, but looking back, I wouldn't have changed a thing. So that's what we're talking about today, transcending meaning. And we're going to talk about what is meaning exactly. We're going to talk about this thing called a God-shaped hole. And we're going to wrap things up talking about double meaning and setting our priorities. Number one, meaning what exactly? In other episodes on the podcast, we've talked about the big three questions. So the questions are, where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? Right? These are the big three questions because the first is a question of our origin. The second is a question about our purpose and meaning. And the third is a question of our destination. And today we're going to set up shop at number two the purpose question, the meaning question. And we're going to dig into that a bit deeper. So let's start by heading back to dictionary.com and letting it explain what the definition is for the two words, starting with purpose. So the definition of purpose is the reason for which something exists or is done, made, or used, an intended or desired result, and determination or resoluteness. Next, for meaning, what is intended to be, actually is, or is expressed, the end, purpose, or significance of something. Now, the two phrases that stand out to me from both of these definitions are the reason something exists and the significance of something. So basically, the thing or things in our lives that provide significance and give us a reason to get out of bed every morning things that we look forward to, and things to which we ascribe value. And that's what I want to talk about today. The thing or things that we pour into our lives because they mean something to us, because they have value that rises above other things. Now, when we look at these two things, I would suggest the following is true. First, there's a continuum of things that people value, right? And then second, the things that we value change over time based on age, stage of life, worldview, things like that. So let's start by looking at the continuum of things that people may value or find meaning in. So it's my personal opinion 
that we value things that fall into two buckets. I'm going to say that there's a bucket called eternal things, and there's a bucket called temporal things. So when you think of eternal things, these usually have spiritual meaning, right? They're things that promote morality or things that attempt to help other people, things that make a world the world a better place, things that carry over to the next life. And then there are the temporal things, right? Things that we consider worldly or things that we find interesting or make us happy, things that may or may not make the world a better place, things that are value agnostic or morality agnostic. They're just things, things that we want to do. Now, some examples of external pursuits. So pursuing a relationship with our creator, being a spiritual leader of some sort or a mentor, uh, working to be better parents, spending time serving others, writing content that inspires people to transcend human. Yes, I believe that's an eternal pursuit. Now, examples of temporal pursuits, right, is kind of the living with me first mentality, always looking to get rather than to give, building things with a sole purpose of making money. Uh, pursuits that do not necessarily carry over into the next life, hobbies, interests, uh, and potentially addictions, unfortunately, that strive for happiness and the good feeling right here and right now. In the past, we've referred to this as living for the scratch. So pursuits that have may, you know, may have negative side effects, um, but things that we just want to do because we want to do them. Now, the next piece of the puzzle we talked about is that these pursuits change over time, right? First, with age. So according to the BBC, uh, they have an article called How Your Personality Changes As You Age. Uh, the author explains it like this. Our traits are ever shifting. And by the time we're in our 70s and 80s, we've undergone a significant transformation. We become more conscientious, more agreeable, and less neurotic. The levels of the dark triad personality traits, which are Machiavellianism, narcissism, and psychopathy, also tend to go down. And with them, our risk of antisocial behavior, such as crime and substance abuse, decrease as well. Now, research has shown that we develop into more altruistic and trusting individuals. Our willpower increases, and we develop a better sense of humor, surprisingly enough. And finally, the elderly have more control over their emotions. It's arguably a winning combination. Now, this article is mainly focused on the personality side of things, right? Suggesting that as we age, we don't become grumpy and rigid as the stereotype goes. But there were two things in there that piqued my interest. The words conscientious and altruistic. To me, this is huge and it fits with our topic today, which is what we value, what we find meaningful. And the article suggests that our values change as we age that our worldview matures, and that what we value may move from more temporal things to more eternal things over time. So that's how age plays into it. But the next thing is stage of life. And I think we would all agree that our stage of life probably influences what we value, right? So think about when we were preteens and teenagers, right? Very self-absorbed. 
but for good reasons, right? We're in the individuation process. We're trying to figure out who we are, who we want to be. Because of this, an adult may view us as selfish or self-centered at that age. Next, think about being a young adult. What are our values at that stage of life? Well, typically it centers around finding a life partner, or maybe it's uh, a huge focus on career advancement. Pursuits may be related to pop culture, keeping up the latest trends, the great trends in movies, music, and entertainment, things like that. And then think about the family stage, about being married, having kids. At this stage, our pursuits may get wrapped up in family stuff, vacations, travel sports, or educational pursuits that our children uh, undertake. And then there's the retirement age and the golden years, right? A chance to look back, reflect on life. Um, Possibly why the BBC article suggested an increase in conscientious and altruistic behaviors, right? Because we're looking back, we're reflecting on the life that we've lived. As if a reevaluation of our lives has taken place and we attempt to make up for some of the more selfish things we did in the past. And finally, it's important to understand that nothing is this linear, right? This isn't a guarantee. Not every person fits into the life stage stereotypes that we just talked about. There are conscientious and altruistic teenagers, and there are adults and elderly people who are 100% selfish, which brings us back to spiral dynamics, something that we've talked about before on the podcast. So, If you want to do a deep dive into that theory, you can go back and listen to episode 58, Transcending Spiritual Stages. In summary, spiral dynamics suggest that there are levels of consciousness that we all fall into and can move through. At any given time, we might find ourselves strongly connected to one of these stages, but we move back and forth fluidly based on what's happening in the world around us. It's also important to understand that these worldviews are layered. So we as people fall into a category, we as a country fall into one of these categories. And looking back, you can see even through history how humankind has worked through the stages over time. So these stages are beige, which is basic needs, essentially. Purple, which is moving to an understanding that there may be outside forces at work. Red, is when you become very self-reliant and it's more survival of the fittest kind of mentality. Then is blue, which is basically settling into a society with traditions and rules and a shared story. Orange is the introduction of science using logic and pragmatism versus handed down beliefs. Green is moving into a realm of social justice, environmentalism, and the celebration of diversity. And then you move into what's called second-tier consciousness. And the first one in that category is yellow, which is basically understanding that we all have all of the colors within us and the importance of balance and accepting others at the same time. And then the last one is turquoise, which gets a little woo-woo, right? This stage basically removes the health, the human element altogether. And it's, it's thinking in terms of universal connectedness and how our planet is one integrated organism where everyone and everything is connected and impacts the other. So if we look at people through the lens of spiral dynamics, we can see that anyone at any age could be living in any of those stages, which makes perfect sense, really, because the stages account for things like 
how we were raised, where we were raised, our education, our age, our life experience, all of those things. Number two, the God-shaped whole. So before we throw God into the mix, I should probably clarify something about section one. When we discussed eternal versus temporal pursuits, I may have made it sound like one is good and the other is bad. However, this is not the case, and I don't want you to think that or take that from this episode. I would suggest that both eternal pursuits and temporal pursuits have the ability to be good, and both can be bad. I'm guessing this is obvious when it comes to the temporal, right? Writing and performing music could be considered a good thing regardless of whether it's spiritual or not, whereas an obsession or an addiction that begins to consume someone's life could be considered bad. But the same can be said for eternal pursuits. Focusing our time and energy on our creator is a good thing. But having our head in the clouds and thinking only about the afterlife might be a bad thing. It could actually keep us from living with the people around us. That said, we're not trying to move from temporal to eternal. We're not trying to make sure that we, you know, go from one to the other and leave the temporal behind. What we're trying to do is to make sure that we have a healthy balance, right? That we have pursuits in both buckets, good pursuits, and that our priorities are in order. More on that in the final section. Okay, so let's bring God back into the episode now. For those of you who have been around the church world for any length of time, you may have heard the phrase God-shaped hole. Now, it's usually presented like this. We have a God-shaped hole in our hearts or we'll never be truly happy until we fill the God-shaped hole in our life. Or we have a God-shaped hole in our hearts and only God can fill it. Whatever the case, these statements are typically made by a believer, right? Somebody who believes in the following, that we are beings created by God and that God created us with a need or a desire for him in our life. Hence the God-shaped hole. It's a spiritual connection, if you will, a connection that we spend a lifetime trying to find and trying to understand. Which brings us to the next point. The journey to fill the God-shaped hole looks different for everyone because it's highly dependent on our worldview. Now, as a Christian, we believe that everyone has the God-shaped hole, regardless if they realize it or not. But let's look at how that plays out in our worldview. So let's start with a group who do not have a spiritual worldview. We'll call this group the non-believers. And it probably stands to reason that people who do, do not understand or don't believe in God spend their entire lives searching the world for things to fill the God-shaped hole. So most of these things will be worldly things, right? Things that the world provides, things that the world suggests are fun, exciting, important, valuable. But the world often confuses happiness with meaning and purpose to the point where many people believe that being happy is the meaning, is the purpose. It's the ultimate goal, the idea that we should spend our entire lives searching for happiness. And when we truly find it, then we will have lives that have purpose and meaning. But we've talked about this before on the show, and that's why so many people in the world today are actually unhappy, because the pursuit of happiness has no endpoint. It's exhausting, and just when you think you've reached what you are shooting for, 
you see another level in the distance, something bigger, something better, something higher. The pursuit of worldly happiness leaves us empty over and over again. Simply put, this is the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence mentality. It's us trying to fill the God-shaped hole with non-God things, with worldly things. Now let's shift from non-believers to believers. So similarly, it should make sense that somebody who believes in God should have this all figured out, right? If we believe in God and we have a God-shaped hole in our hearts, then just fill the hole with God. Sounds like a pretty simple equation, right? But not so simple, right? Believers often struggle as much as non-believers. First, because we struggle with trust. Even though we believe in God, we may struggle to fully trust Him. And second, because we live in the world too. We see the things the world has to offer. We struggle with the same desires, right? Our culture tells us what success looks like, and we want it so bad. We want it just as much as the next person. So let's shift gears a bit and uh, dive a bit deeper into those worldly pursuits that we were talking about. So the things that we work hard for, the things that we try, we experiment with, and at times we become obsessed or addicted to, thinking that they will fully fill the God-shaped hole. Now, before we dive in, I'll be honest, this isn't rocket science, right? In fact, you can come up with your own list. Uh, These are just things that I think we all understand, right? These are buckets that we all would point to and be like, yeah, I get it, right? Those are all part of the human condition. Those are all things that we see in our culture, and they're all things that we may struggle with. So number one, money or financial security. Again, not rocket science, right? If there's one thing that we think should bring safety, security, and happiness, it's money, right? I mean, money provides all of the things, the house, the car, the vacations, the gadgets, the clothes, all of the things that seem to be happiness-producing in this life, money provides. But here are just a few quotes that suggest otherwise. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, money often costs too much. Benjamin Franklin said, money never made a man happy, yet, nor will it. The more a man has, the more he wants. Instead of filling a vacuum, it makes one. And then Zig Ziglar said, money won't make you happy, but everyone wants to find out for themselves. So we've all heard that, right? Money does not buy happiness. And yet we don't really believe it, right? I mean, do we? It seems like it seems like we're all constantly trying to poke holes in the theory because maybe we so badly wish that it wasn't true. Maybe we actually think from time to time, I'll be the guinea pig. Give me a bunch of money and let me see for myself if I'm happy or not. Because deep inside, there is this tendency to believe Satan's lie that the scratch is what it's all about. Get as much as you can in the 70-ish years that we have on earth. And the one with the most toys wins. Number two, career and fame. So I clump these two together because they often seem very similar to me, right? When we when we get super into our careers, it's typically for one of the following reasons. It's either to make more money and be financially secure, which is what we just talked about, or it's to climb the ladder, move up in the world, make a name for ourselves. Fame and money are usually connected at the hip. Now, you can become famous without money, 
just do something wild, crazy, dangerous, or something that pushes the envelope. And from there, the money typically follows. Don't believe me? It's called being a social media influencer, right? Now, if you're already famous, being a social media influencer comes baked in. But you can be a nobody with a crazy idea and become an influencer overnight simply by getting enough people to like your content and follow you. And then from there, the money starts to trickle in, right? Because the social media platforms are all about making money. They want you to continue to be successful. They want you to make more money because that makes them more money. And then there are the more traditional routes that produce fame, right? Your, your standard musicians, actors, actresses, YouTube personalities, podcasters, radio show personalities, talk show personalities, even news anchors, game show hosts, uh, DJs on large market radio stations, things like that. All things that produce a level of fame based on the career you've chosen. Number three, power and control. So some of this comes with money and fame, right? But I was thinking more in terms of politics and religion on this one. So think about the mayors, governors, senators, representatives, um, Supreme Court justices, the vice president, the president. Think about all of the power and control that they have in the positions they fill. When they are doing their jobs for the right reasons, things change. Progress happens. But when they use their positions of power to control for personal gain or to keep people down, it can be devastating. Next, moving up in the religious world can also come with an intoxicating amount of power and control. Just listen to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast if you don't believe me. Look at the Pope or any other high-level leader in most religions, and it's the same. Not only is there a following because of the platform they have and the position they hold, but throw in the spirituality factor, right? The fact that they speak on behalf of a higher power, and it's a recipe for disaster. I mean, there are people who almost worship their spiritual leaders. Now, if that doesn't provide a level of power and control, I'm not sure what does. Next, we have exercise and beauty. So another road we can go down is that of self-promotion, making our physical bodies the best they can possibly be working out every day at the gym, training for a marathon or triathlon, living at the spa, getting plastic surgery, uh, buying the latest snake oil to prevent the aging process, having your hair done every week or so, um, so that no one ever sees a gray hair. Now, this list is truly endless. I just threw out a few of the big ones. But there is that tendency for us from a worldly pursuit level, a temporal pursuit level, to focus on exercise and beauty. Finally, number five, happiness and comfort. Okay, so I had to add this one just because I believe it has the same capabilities as some of the ones above. Our incessant need for happiness and comfort can actually blind us. It can keep us from looking for something to fill the God-shaped hole, even when we know God has offered to fill it for us. So maybe this is the catch-all category, right? Because in order to achieve happiness and comfort, we may go after all of the things we just talked about, money, fame, power, beauty, um, all of those things. Or we may search for it through other means, other means like love, finding the perfect person who can and will make us happy. Maybe it's children, right? 
Some of us believe that having a child will fill our God-shaped hole. Sex, believing that sex is the ultimate form of happiness. Gambling, a very quick and easy way to make money, wealth, and ultimately happiness. Alcohol, right? A cultural happiness producer, a social lubricant, a great way to take the edge off. Drugs, a much faster way to do what alcohol does, and an immediate happiness producer. And then you have prescription drugs and pain medication with the obvious desire to be free from any level of pain and or discomfort. Now, I'm sure there are many more categories out there, right? But these are just five of the biggest that stood out to me. Number three, find the double meaning and set your priorities. So in section two, I was pretty hard on the worldly things, right? I made them all out to be bad, things we don't want to do, but that isn't entirely true. In fact, every single one of us lives in the world. We all experience the human condition, and we will live in some of those categories from time to time. For example, I live in the following categories. Money and financial security. I enjoy it when I can make enough money to take care of my family, to go on vacation, and to have the latest gadgets. Career and fame, right? I have a job that I want to do well, and I do things like the Transcend Human podcast, which I hope gains momentum and, you know, that more people follow. Exercise and beauty. I mean, I struggle with my physique and what what do I need to do to make it better? Happiness and comfort. This is probably where I live the most often. I'm always looking for ways to enjoy life more and ensure that bad things don't happen, that problems don't arise. So is this bad? Do I need to give all of this up in order to find true purpose and meaning? No. I would suggest no. Instead, I would suggest that we find the double meaning in life. So what do I mean by that? Well, just what it suggests, that we find meaning in both the eternal and the temporal. Now, that said, I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that one is more important than the other, but that should be obvious, right? We need to start with the eternal. We need to fill the God-shaped hole with God, with our creator, right? He's the one who created us. He's the one who understands us. He wrote the manual for how to operate this thing called a human being. Only then will the worldly pursuits find their correct place in our life when we've filled the God-shaped hole with God. So how do we do that? How do we grab God and force him into this little hole that's in our heart? Well, on this show, we typically say it this way. We accept the antidote to the sin virus and in essence, vote for God in the eternal election. Let me say that one more time. We accept the antidote to the sin virus and we, in essence, vote for God in the eternal election. That is step one, right? In filling our God-shaped hole in our heart. Step two is to get to know him. And we do that through things like spiritual disciplines, right? Prayer, reading the Bible, spending time in nature, attending church or other spiritual activities, uh, spending time with people who also believe, things like that. And then step three is allowing this to impact our worldview. Because when we allow God into the God-shaped hole, we see the world differently. We start living as he did. We start putting others before ourselves. We start helping people in need. We start taking care of the environment. We start to choose kindness and mercy over some of our more selfish pursuits. And once we have this part in our lives working... 
then we can more appropriately handle the worldly pursuits, the temporal things. So to summarize, I would just say it this way. If we don't have God in the God-shaped hole, we will try to fit worldly things into it and never be fully satisfied. But if we have God in the God-shaped hole, we will already be satisfied and will be able to view the worldly pursuits more correctly and engage in them in a more healthy way. That's the double meaning I'm talking about. Putting eternal things first and then engaging with the temporal things correctly. Finally, set your priorities. So this just might be the hardest part. Once we understand the whole concept of double meaning and that we need to make sure God is in the God-shaped hole before pursuing worldly things, the next step is to look at all of our worldly pursuits and make sure that they're listed in order of importance, right? We need to set priorities. Now, this is not something that I can do for you, but I can give you a rough outline, one that seems pretty solid to me. And here those are in order of importance. So number one is God, right? Our spiritual connection to our creator. This is putting God in the God-shaped hole. Number two, spouse, partner, right? The one that we said that we would love and cherish until death does us part. That should probably be number two. Number three, if you chose to have a family, if you have children, the beings that we brought into the world, those should be the next priority. Number four, other people, people in need, right? Those around us who are suffering. Number five, career, the thing that we do to take care of our family. Number six, our passions, right? The things that we believe that only we can do, our hobbies, our talents, our creative pursuits. For me, this is really transcend human, right? I, I should really be doing all of the other things before I get around to doing transcend human. And then number seven, all of the rest, right? Entertainment, all the fun stuff that the world has to offer. So what if we use this priority list to guide our decision-making? What would that do for us? Would it help us rise above the human condition? Would it help us transcend human? I'm suggesting it would. So let's land the plane, right? This week, ask yourself the following questions about purpose and meaning. First, do you struggle with purpose and meaning in life? If so, did this episode provide some answers for those questions? Number two, had you ever heard the term God-shaped hole before? And can you see the power that exists in connecting to your creator in that way? And finally, do you understand the double meaning concept, right? Filling the God-shaped hole first and then engaging in worldly pursuits. And finally, what do you think about setting your priorities, right? Setting priorities based on the list that we came up with. This week, let's wrestle with those questions, right? And let's determine what our next steps are. So that's it. That's the episode for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad you chose to be here. Have a great week, everybody. And as always, keep transcending human.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, head on over to transcendhuman.com forward slash podcast and navigate to the episode you're looking for. On the website, you'll also find blog posts, podcast series, and other helpful resources to help you navigate the Transcend Human ecosystem. You'll also find links to our social media channels, And as always, if you have questions, feel free to contact us at info at transcendhuman.com. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you back here on Monday morning.